Well, uh, Paul, we're in the second attempt of creating this episode. Are you ready to act right so we can complete this episode? I don't know what I was doing last time, but they shut us down. (laughs) I don't even know how to express how frustrating that was and how happy I am that we're able to get this taken care of now because we've been gone for a while. We've been gone for a minute. That's mostly my fault, I will admit, but uh, we bite. (laughs) Okay, in my defense, in my defense, I was doing like firefighting work, you know, so like, I I feel like it was for a good enough reason that I was gone for so long. And I mean, it's so beautiful, you know, thank you. I do what I can for for you. You have beautiful brown skin that just lights up when the sun beams against it and you save lives. You better stop. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yo, move closer to the mic, too. You're so soft-spoken tonight. I dig it personally, but, you know, they they might. I dig it, too, because a a lot of this is just uh, me learning to chill. That's real. Expand Um, upon that. The pressure to be excellent as a Black person is disassociative from our humanity. And we've already been placed in a society that has robbed us of our humanity. It's bizarre to me how people don't comprehend or honor our chronic pain. And there are some senses that when people describe them, unless they expand on what the sense is, I don't understand necessarily what they're talking about. And it's interesting. For example, I recently bought a shampoo and conditioner and a, a, a scrub, a scalp scrub. And the person at the store said, oh, this should tingle. And the way that I perceived the scent wasn't a tingle. It was more of like my, it felt like my head was exhaling steam. Like it was releasing steam from my head. Mm. And it was interesting because if that person would have said, if I wasn't talking to uh, one of our mutual friends, I wouldn't have been able to identify that as my scalp tingling. I just felt as though my mind was like my mind and my actual scalp were relaxing, but it didn't feel like a tingle. Mm. Interesting. You know, I, I find words to be a really interesting medium for communication because like they're kind of trash actually. Like, of course, like most of our communication is nonverbal, but most of our, deliberate communication for the most part um is is verbal you know not to be like ableist but like i'm just saying in general so it's funny that words are such a trash medium actually for communication because the only time words actually work is if you already have a frame of reference and even then the words i use to describe a feeling that is subjective for me might be analogous to a feeling that's subjective for you. And we might Mm -hmm. be talking about the same thing just because that's the word for it, but we might be experiencing two different things. 
And we've just associated each of those with the same word. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Every sentence feels like a trust exercise. And sometimes I no longer feel the need to speak, even speaking to some people from different cultures. I really appreciate whenever a, a, a person who, especially a man who, who is able to communicate with me, even though U.S. culture is not his culture and it's English is not his first language. And I, I also appreciate myself for speaking English with all the knowledge that I have, because English in itself is a tough language to spiritually embrace as at least my own. I don't know how English it, it hits other people. I, I think that realizing how much I have to exert energy to be understood or to justify my existence, it's it's dehumanizing. It's really dehumanizing. And once I've been able to take a breath and realize a lot of the imposter syndrome that I felt was primarily gaslighting, mm. it's been easier to give less. I feel that. I feel that. I, I think you articulated that better than I could follow up with it, but I feel exactly what you're saying. And, and I think that one thing I really appreciate about Black people, but specifically Black Americans, is that we do speak our own language. We use mm-hmm. English as the medium for the most part, but the way that we present language in English and, you know, just the language of our oppressors is so much different than how it was presented to us. It is our own language. And I'm not even talking about like the words being used, but the way it's spoken, the facial expressions, the way we laugh, like just so many different things. But um, I think that's a great segue into today's topic, which is, Black Panther. Um, Zenas, you have seen Black Panther recently. Monisha and I both saw it, you know, weeks ago, but you've just recently seen it. So I want to know, like, what are your initial thoughts? Like, what are you, what are you feeling? What are you feeling? You called me after it was over and we kind of talked. Yeah, you told me to call you after it was over with because you knew what I was going to be feeling after <laughs> just like you Infinity know. War, but I digress. Um <laughs> But, hey, um, man, I ain't, I ain't say nothing, man. That's all you. <laughs> whatever. But, um, you know, going into it, I I knew what to expect, but unexpected things happen. Hmm. So, you know, Ryan Cooler, shout out to him. I knew that, you know, when the news happened and, you know, we all found out about Chadwick's passing, it was already, you know, one could already say like, yeah, he's going to do something to kind of help tie that into the story. Somehow, because it's not going to be just a random, oh, no more, no more T'Challa. It's, he's going to tie it in. And, you know, when the movie started, usually in most Marvel movies, we get the little, you know, animation of the Marvel comics going and all that good stuff. And I felt that this is when the part one of the thug tears started to drop. I thought it was genius and so profound when he when the movie started with the with the ceremony of T'Challa's homegoing service, is what I'm going to call it. <laughs> and um, 
you know, little little tidbits of things to kind of help give us a glimpse of like how much of an impact he has made on both, you know, Wakanda and just really his role in enti- in its entirety. So much so to the point where Marvel made it so that the animation was solely Black Panther based. Yeah, that it was, was all a really nice touch. That was a really so. Nice as far as how I felt about the movie and stuff like that, after I've seen it, you know, I'll get into the nitty-gritty of like yeah, all of it in its entirety. But my first reaction is, man, they did it again. They've done it again. Per, like I would dare say flawlessly executed in terms of taking a story um, and turning it into their own, but still staying true to what I would think the the subject or the the source to a degree, like it wasn't preachy. It didn't seem preachy. It didn't seem like they were trying to convey any type of message that was like forced. It was all very cohesive to the story and you felt immersed from start to finish. So, and again, mm-hmm. as far as the nitty gritty is concerned, we'll get into that as we progress in the conversation. And it, I, I, to that point, yes, I love how your commentary about the Black Panther film touches on community and how community grieves, how family grieves. And it's, I, I definitely peep that. And I, 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 I find it interesting how when I watched that, it instantly made sense. Mm. Scenes like Jerry genuinely feeling like she wanted to mourn and that she felt angry and coming from a mental health background, not to brag, became became (laughs) a mental health professional in Florida. So now I'm in this place where I'm really appreciating how the story of emotion and feeling is told. And to your point, Paul, words are really hard to convey that. And sometimes it is harder for people to put into words. Oh my gosh, my heart's breaking. Mm. I, you know, like some people can say, I want to die. And some people will take that literally. And Shuri expressing, I, you know, I just want to burn the world down. If when seeing the context of that funeral and how it was so painful, it was so easy to empathize with that feeling that she has and to also be able to do a little bit of a test, a a measurement, a measurement of how much we're able to empathize with her based off of our own experiences. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that the, to your point, and I'm glad you brought this quote up, the, I want to burn the world down is something that made sense in the context of what she was feeling, but it also makes sense in the context of what we feel. And I do think that that was very purposeful. And so, you know, I, I do want to get into the second film, but I also want to get into the first movie a little bit. And the reason why is because, you know, Zenus brings up the uh, kind of tribute to Chadwick Boseman that they had at the beginning of Marvel, of the Marvel movie and really throughout the film. Right. But <clears throat> I'm not going to lie. After Chadwick Boseman died, And celebrity deaths, I mean, I hate to say this, but they really don't affect me very profoundly usually. But this one did so much so that 
I actually hadn't watched the first Black Panther film like since he died. Like it was almost like watching mm. it kind of made it real. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, and it sounds yeah. so stupid because this is not somebody that I knew personally, but it just it really like affected me that way. And I, but then what's more interesting, and maybe this also kind of factors into what we'll talk about later on an emotional level, is when I needed to work out or something, I rewatched Killmonger scenes all the time. So like mm. I watched a lot of like the Killmonger scenes of the first Black Panther film, but like I did not watch that movie after Tadwick Bozeman died. And it's not because I didn't enjoy it. It just it it felt like strange. And so um with that being said, leading up to going to watch the second movie, I did go back and watch the first movie again just for context you know even though like y'all know i read a lot of comic books like whatever but like i just wanted to watch the movie again and um so i kind of want to get into a discussion about the themes of the first movie before we move into the second one too much because i do think that a lot of those themes kind of followed over and i think that especially with killmonger y'all know that's my favorite character like a lot of the attitudes that he had we kind of saw reflected in shuri a little bit mm. in a really interesting way. So yeah, I mean, what's, what's your take on that? It's she, mm-hmm. one of those things where I have, uh, a love hate relationship with how black Panther has become the epicenter of people being able to comprehend how painful it is on a spiritual level to be African-American and how low-key a lot of Black people just fundamentally, when they're not African-American, based off of their perception, especially if they're not a descendant of the transatlantic slave trade, that got placed in the United States of America. And that is all their family pretty much remembers. Hmm. A lot of people don't like those people. Yes. And a part of that roots from, I think it's dangerous. I think it's actually a dangerous idea to set the foundation that that roots from envy it probably roots from jealousy because jealousy involves a third party. And when you remember that jealousy involves a third party, then it's like, where does that anger come from? It come, it's, it's misdirected. Whereas if it was envy, it could just be ultimate weird feelings towards mm-hmm. a particular group with no context, just weird feelings. And there were point just to give a little context of where I'm coming from before I watched the black Panther film, the first one, when it was, I think it was after Chadwick died. And I think what was very uh, tough for me was I wasn't really trying to watch that film with my non black friends. 
because <laughs> it's <laughs> it's not like I wouldn't watch the film with them now. And depending on the friend, if they're ready to fully hold my reactions to history and how that has individually impacted me and my surrounding community, then we can't do that. And I would also feel betrayed if a Black person can do that on a different level. I, I think that I put a heavier level of expectation onto Black people. And even I sometimes grapple with, am I wrong for doing that? Because Blackness is... It, it, I recently came to this feeling of race has been made religious at least in the United States, in that if white people were taught that they were superior and closer to God, and that does show up in religions, mm -hmm. if that's the case, then one, it gives a lot more context to why Hebrew Israelites are like that. And then on a personal right. level, I <laughs> feel like the only way that Blackness as a unifying tool can exist for good is through religious belief and religious belief in that we are going to be connected on the sole basis of our phenotypes and the transracial people who love us. <laughs> transracial people who love us. Come on now. No, but I mean, to your point, and I, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because we've talked about that before. Um, the first film really finds a way to convey those exact feelings that you've just described. You know, this kind of dissonance between people that are here via slavery and oppression. And I mean, oppression happened globally, right? But we're here for very specific reasons. Um, and by we, I mean, black Americans that have been here, you know, generationally. Um, there's a dissonance between us and our brethren that did not come here via the transatlantic slave trade. And mm. that theme carries over into the second film in a different way. But I think that one thing I really appreciate about the writing in both films was, you know, how I talked about earlier about how we do kind of speak our own language and it's kind of a secret code. And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, like, it just is what it is. Those and films then did that there's too. the prayer that it doesn't get misinterpreted. It, and even if it does, you know, I, I do believe in gatekeeping something. So I'm, I'm yeah. okay with misinterpretation. Not, not, you know? not just that, even within Blackness, even within Blackness. For example, I don't know if you've seen this image, and if you haven't, I can send it to you because I think it's important to watch it. There is not, I did support Candace Owens financially in that I think she is powerful and prolific as a black voice. And whether you like her or not, if you believe in blackness, you need to listen to her. And Cornell West and Candace Owens were sat down and it was interesting because I don't know if you've noticed one thing that is very black and I'll even go as far to say universally black and if you're a non-Black person of color listening right now, you may not do this exactly how we're doing it in the United States of America. It started with Kanye. 
white people as props, white people as service workers in our art pieces. So I, I had to give that context mm. so you could understand white man bartending, how I perceived it from my perception as an individual and also as a black person, I would hope this is how my black, my blackness is perceiving this is he needed to be included in the conversation somehow. He was there. If Candace Owens got to sit down with Cornell West. I don't even remember that man's title right now. And I feel like my respectfully Cornell West, the, the level of reverence that should be given to him as a change maker within black American culture she got to sit down with him. So to me, that's, that is a level of power that very few black people are ever going to have to influence history. And I guess that's what made me so uncomfortable with black Panther, because there's no, African-American hero. And mm. it, to me, it strikes me as a film that makes a mockery. I actually personally, culturally perceive that film is not everything that people breathe into it. I find it more offensive than anything. And if you perceive it as a, a satire. I, I'm I, as an American, I'm not going to be the one who dies on the hill for that because what have Americans done for so long other than show all oh, these poor African children that we should save? And I'm not sure yeah. that there are black people who donated. Uh, for that reason, I've just kind of reached this point where when non-black people were sending their condolences to me when Chadwick died. I also am someone, because I was homeschooled, yeah, I don't really been. do TV and cinema yeah. and celebrity worship yeah. to that extreme. So then that became extremely uncomfortable. And it made me realize how much I don't understand how people perceive my existence. And that film for that reason makes me feel uncomfortable. However, if, however we get our reparations. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm going to push back a little bit and say, you know, I do think that there were some moments that could be interpreted as being satirical, but I actually think the movie did a really good job of, and once again, like including this subtext that may or may not be interpreted correctly or incorrectly all the way through by all people that it was meant for, but that's kind of the, the beauty of it in a way is that there's no, there's no right way to be black. You know, there's wrong way for sure. And I don't really know who Candace Owens is. So I don't have anything to say about, I don't have any energy to allocate towards that person. That person doesn't exist in my mind. Um, but I will say that, um, there is a African-American hero in that movie. And you're going to laugh at me for saying this, but I promise I'm not trying to be funny. Y'all know that Killmonger is my favorite character. 
he is the hero in a way and not in an obvious the way because he's very is, hold on hold on hold on because he's okay. very fucked up like he shot a black woman like he choked out an old black woman like <laughs> there were some things that he did that i certainly don't think are heroic and i don't think that he as a person was heroic but i think he as an idea was heroic and i think that a lot of the way that a we perceive ourselves as black people as as black americans particularly and b a lot of the way that we are perceived is as ideas not individuals and so i do think that killmonger filled that role of the black american hero because regardless of the faults in his character um t'challa was also very at fault with his thinking and the person that changed him was killmonger and and can i jump in right here and say something with it yeah yeah go ahead so and to really um kind of um kind of add give testament to that I would say that Killmonger's entire character and just like his his um, his archetype was in fact the especially around that time where you know the African American man and woman just American African American citizen had all of this I was animosity and dismay towards the very systems that they that they had to deal with on a day to day basis um, you know on a micro and and on a micro and economic standpoint and just he was the one that was that had that archetype of man. If we could actually do that, a lot would get done. That would be the benefit that would be able to benefit my people that are struggling on that side. So when he was saying how um better what Paul was saying, why he would be deemed as like the hero is because he is that by any means that walking embodiment of by any means necessary. So when it came down to actually going back to Wakanda or letting himself get captured, his whole idea was we're going to give the very resources that the people that are struggling are without, which is why they are being oppressed so much. But we're going to give them these resources so that way they can be, if not on the same level, a step above the very people that oppress them, which Mm -hmm. is why we were so, you know, there were, black people who saw that movie that were so like, you know what? This man might be right because ain't no might. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But like, and and, kind of also giving this thing of the whole, what couldn't it be argued that Wakanda in and of itself were the very ones that were gatekeeping from African-Americans because in both the literal and figurative sense. Well, that was, that was kind of the 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 point. Though. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. Going back to what Paul says specifically about Killmonger being a Black American, Black American mm-hmm. and African American are the same identity. Arguably, I think that Black American is more inclusive. When I say African American, it at that point becomes what people would what people would call or what scientists would call a ethnic group and that is cultural and i also recognize the dichotomy of him being black american wakandan and also legitimately like african-american his 
father and like so forth like just their whole setup i forget exactly where their home was i don't remember uh that being from wakanda his mother was from america he grew up in oakland california okay all right so that and that makes sense and i'm gonna go a little i'm gonna bring back how that film was so california specifically with how they uh they portrayed the indigenous american people anyway i agree that he is an african-american hero and in the second film i appreciate the monologue that he had i appreciate his uh his clapbacks at Zuri and acknowledging how the royal family in a lot of ways are full of shit mm-hmm. and yeah. i there are points where wakanda wakanda to me if i was to compare it to an african-american cultural figure i see it as uh let's take the the stereotypical black elite family and they the one who goes to jack and jill functions the ones who are doing cotillion the the black people who were uh perhaps doing well in the 60s and 70s and -hmm. starting to become more upper mobile Mm -hmm. i definitely don't think that the trauma that surrounded them was just going to go away and that it wouldn't show up. And I think that's why even in the Wakandan Royal family, you see this extreme level of hypocrisy and hypocrisy in a way that I do still think that it is when you think about Killmonger as a, Killmonger as an African-American or black American, he was still to some extent fetishized in the film, obviously not in a sexual sense, but seen as more superior due to his Wakandan heritage. And that's what I'm getting at. And it doesn't really show up for per se in the first movie, as much as it feels like it does in the second movie in a way where I'm not per se mad at the African-American representation. I think they did a very respectful job of doing that more so in a, it's interesting that that film is so California and it feels foreign to me in that, that, that medium of film is very different than the medium of film uh, that you would see something like Kindred or uh, Lovecraft County. It's a different representation. And that, I think Black Panther representation, especially the mixture of it being Marvel and Disney makes it really weird because I do think that people took spiritual messages from that. And I think that's exactly what that film is also supposed to do. It's it's it just felt like a really odd film. That's fair. And I think you bring up an interesting point of like you have to consider your source, you know, and mm-hmm. I mean, you, you said it already, like the fact that it's a Disney film is one thing. You know, I've, I've been reading comic books since I was able to read and 
an argument that a lot of the incel fanboys make is that like comic books are having this new wave of like being political and talking about quote unquote woke things. And they use woke as like a, a belittling like a, term. Like a derogatory. Yeah. They like, yeah, don't want to be that. It, yeah. But the thing about it is like comic books have always been that way. Um, and in fact, I had to beat up the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, not only that, Black Panther as a character predates the Black Panther Party. And it's been theorized because Huey Newton was kind of a nerd that that's where they got the name from. So, mm-hmm. you know, there have always been these messages and the messaging certainly wasn't always perfect because at the end of the day, as much as I love Stan Lee, like they were white men writing a lot of these characters, you know, but the intention was there for whatever that's worth. And so the messaging has always kind of been the intention, but Monisha, to your point, at the end of the day, this is also a Disney movie and we know what kind of company Disney is and and we know how insidious they can be. Yeah. And and I was going to, yeah. And I was going to say like, at the end of the day, when it comes down to that, like you say, it's a Disney movie, it's a family movie. Even I feel when Killmonger first came onto the scene, they didn't, they, they were really torn a line with his ideology in general because, I mean, they really gave Ryan Coogler or the writers a whole lot of leeway because they could have really pushed the envelope upon. They didn't, I'll put it to you like this Killmonger's ideas and his, his um, ideologies and his execution was, you know, everybody can unanimous, unanimously agree. Yeah, that yeah, he was on to something. Like, you you know, it's a good villain when he you agree was with on to something, bro. right? But like, what I'm saying is, is that I put it to you like this: the fact that it's a Disney movie, he didn't even make it out. He didn't even make it out of Wakanda with what he wanted to do. Had nah. they implemented it to the point where he actually did somehow, some way, give those resources to the very people who he was trying to arm and supply, that could have opened up a whole new can of like unintended results from that movie, based on just the idea alone was like could be contagious to somebody watching and being like you know what this is something that can actually be done if it's done right well and this is where we get into the second movie and i Uh i am gonna make this segue but before i do it let Mm -hmm. me just ask y'all a rhetorical question if killmonger didn't shoot his girlfriend and choke out that old priestess would he (laughs) would he be the villain in that movie because well, I think they needed to do that in order to make sure people knew he was the villain. So remember right? what I said. So remember what I said. Yes, but do you remember what I said about he was the walking embodiment of by any means necessary? <laughs> yes, for sure. And no, but that's a good point because, like, I also think there's this dialogue about, you know, when we advance as a people, um, the struggles of black people often become the struggles of black men. And oftentimes, as much work as black women put into it, they take a back seat. And I think that that's a dialogue that whether purposeful or just by accident was very clearly present in the first movie. And I also think that it was addressed in the second movie. See, and the thing is, though, here's the next part. When you said that, I thought of Chris Brown. Mm. And I thought of a lot of toxic black 
men and not just black men, because let's go at least 75% to 90% of men are toxic to women. And I will go as far as one time I was thinking about Shakespeare and thinking about as you like it, all of the world's a stage monologue. That monologue somewhat lives in my head rent free. And it's mm. unfortunate. That being said, it's easier to have that monologue over the study that is file cabinet in the back of my mind about how there is a pipeline for women to be depressed and science supports that. If you mm. would like me to find a study, I would love a reason to look it up. And once I saw that, I realized that I understood how, yes, statistically speaking, it's better for women often to not be with men. And there are some men who do a better job at liking women and not just black men who have issues with their group of women in a way that they can push their buttons like no other. It's it, having just interracially dated so often to the point where I don't really view it as interracial dating. I don't lead with the thought of interracial dating. It's an afterthought of, oh yes, this is an interracial relationship. You sound like every nigga that's interracial dated right now. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, the way that I could annoy men and just get them to the point where they have to take a break from my existence transcends race. Yeah, that's a, fair. That's fair. In a way that when I see him kill his girl to some extent, that to me was the American, not necessarily the black American, but it actually, no, I'll even go a little further. That really was just a man thing to do in that. Ooh, you no longer serve the purpose. Bitch, you gotta go. I'm a, um, I'm a introduce you to Winnie Mandela later, but to your point, um, I do think that that's valid. I think that, um, statistically i mean it's it's the same for men men are generally healthier generally have longer lives and better qualities of life that are not married and i i reckon the statistics are the same for women too but to your point that's because we all support our systems of oppression not just those that it's quote unquote benefiting but even those that it's detrimental towards just because of social engineering. Right. So, you know, as somebody who was raised around mostly women and to this day really like gets along with women and is in circles of women more often than men. Um, I got it from both sides. You know, I had the male family members that thought I was around too many women. And so they wanted me to adopt certain toxic, uh, mentalities about certain things but then i had plenty of woman family members who were also like hey you know talking to my mom like yo you gotta cut him loose a little bit or he gonna be a bitch he around too many women and, th and these are women talking now so i do think that generally speaking we as people that have been institutionalized in whatever systems we've been institutionalized will support those systems um independent of our oppressors 
sometimes, which kind of leads me into the second film, because I think that the same dissonance that was presented between black Americans and then other black people of the diaspora in particular, you know, the ancestry of Killmonger versus the Wakandans. Um, I think that same theme was presented now with black versus Brown. Right. Mm-hmm. It's and- just a shame that really getting back to even why I brought that up, kill the whole point that I'm saying with the black Panther film being an epicenter for how people perceive, especially recognizing the people that I'm talking about weren't just American. They were international people as well. Mm. I would have, I personally relate to the storytelling of Lovecraft as opposed to the storytelling of Black Panther, as much as the storytelling of Black Panther fetishizes It's difficult to say fetishizes African people. However, I have met plenty of African and Caribbean people who fundamentally feel in their heart that they are more regal and superior to African-Americans on the fundamental basis that to them, they kept their culture more, which I think is arguable. Depending. I think that's arguable too, but I know exactly what you mean because same, we've had this conversation, but not right. To cut so you I, off. I yeah. very much think it's arguable, and it's I'm not going to lie. It's really funny to watch those people have moments of recognizing that the pedestal cracks. Uh, that that I hope I'm. I and here's here we go. Words having a limited ability to explain the frustration that the Black Panther film has, even getting back to Killmonger as the African-American hero, I think that he represents the same reason why Candace Owens deserves to be heard and criticized. I I can't comment on it. I understand you don't know who that is. (laughs) Uh, For the people who do know who that is, she deserves to at least be heard and criticized. And, because nothing for nothing, it's unfortunate. These films really do. I think that TV is how a lot of people learn. Yeah, that's fair. And I would even say with the cultural awareness that I have, I understand why the blue people were depicted that way. What I don't understand is why do people who seem indigenous to America in Hollywood films, the, I, between Avatar and Black Panther, I'm like, okay, now there's something with the color blue. I want to know why. You know, that's interesting because I've always had the same exact, and this is going to take a complete left turn. I've always had the same exact curiosity when it comes to why like every black superhero in comic books has some sort of lightning powers. <laughs> you know, like, I got there's something you. with I indigenous people in the color blue and black superheroes in lightning. And I don't know what the correlations are, but they're there. And it's really frustrating because I'm not going to lie. I'm really sure it's frustrating because the thing is with TV, you really can't take that much stock over it as opposed to it drawing on the inspiration of real life and black panther intentionally does that even at the end where 
his son is named, his Haitian name is Toussaint, Mm -hmm. which is beautiful. That's a beautiful conversation to lead into a third movie. They ended that movie so beautifully. Yeah, they did. And Zenas, or either of you, matter of fact, did y'all drop a tear during that scene? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, ain't I didn't gonna lie. Really I didn't. A lot of the others. No, I, don't, I didn't drop a tear. I was more so like hands on my head. You know that black youngster meme where he's like <laughs> talking to Narwar and he like got his hand on his head and he's like leaning on the wall. Like, how did you know? I was more like that. Yeah, I'm not gonna like lie that. to you, bro. Yeah, like I didn't drop a tear, but in my head. First of all, shout out to Lapita. She is, and I'm not even oh. going to sexualize her, but Lupita she is beautiful. Is but she is just beautiful. like, yo, shout out to Lapita, man. But Bro. anyway. Um, yeah, like honestly, when it comes down to her role in that, it was so like later down the line in the movie, but so much impact in that in that time that she was on the screen, bro. Like, Well, oh. yeah, and, and what I will say about that movie um, is I love the the love that they gave like black women carried that movie and there's a very purposeful dialogue i think that um was was kind of embedded in that but going back to like the the little t'challa scene like i'm not gonna lie and you know i read comics and stuff but a lot of a lot of the movie not even just the second one but the first one too changed a lot of the storylines and the characters but in a cool way because it it allowed more dialogue right so like for example in the comic books like t'challa is still alive you know and he doesn't have a son at least not yet um in the main timeline but um in my head i'm like knowing the context of this movie in real life i'm like it's a baby and i said that I said that when I was watching the movie the first time to my homies or whatever. I was like, yo, it's a baby in there. And they was like, man, what the hell are you talking about? And I was like, watch. <laughs> and then when that scene showed up, I just looked over and it was the same like tearful silence. Like, remember how you were in Infinity War when everybody started disappearing, Zenus? It was like that same tearful si- silence, bro. And I was just like, oh, y'all niggas. For those, that, for, the, for those that, for a little quick, real, real quick story, this man, Paul, saw <laughs> Infinity War already and then went to see it when I saw it. So during the time where the scene was happening, he didn't even, I think he didn't even look at the screen. He just looked in my direction <laughs> just to watch my reaction of it. This man is creep as fuck for no reason. I almost, I almost videotaped you, bro. Like eyes, we would have been fighting that. We would have been fighting that theater, But, but, but that's how people was looking in that in that movie theater when when the little T'Challa scene Toussaint came about, and it was it was very powerful, and it was also like, wow, dude, like, wow, like I don't even know what words to put to that scene. It was just like very emotionally heavy um and one thing i will say and monisha i would like to hear your take on this as somebody who has more experience in the mental health field but you know one thing that i really took away from that movie was there was a part at the beginning where queen ramonda and shuri were talking about um ramonda had like said a prayer and felt like she heard t'challa like in the wind and Shuri was like, that's just something your mind came up with as the coping mechanism. That's your way of remembering him. And Mm. it's just something to make you feel better. And 
uh, Ramonda said back to Sherry something that really stuck with me um, and me personally, just when I think about my own coping mechanisms. And I've already talked about how, like, sometimes I'll rewatch Killmonger scenes when I need to work out or like probably one of the most in shape times I've ever been in my whole life was right after George Floyd died. And all I did was work out. Um, there was this quote that Queen Ramonda had said to Shuri, like, OK, that's all well and good. You know, maybe that is just my mind, you know, finding a way to cope. But when you think of T'Challa, is it comforting or do you only feel pain? And I think that is when I figured Killmonger was going to show up in the ancestral plane for Shuri because they're coming from the same place. Like they now they understand each other. Does that make sense how I'm saying it? Yes. And that's one part of the film that I'm happy that Zuri is not being made a gender fluid idol. Because mm. when you think about the depiction of that character and how easily that angle could be taken, it would really do injustice to the angry black woman archetype and stereotype that has yet to be given respect and acknowledging how black women often express aggression to translate their depression. Zuri mm. has so much pressure on her. She is a Disney princess in the same way that Princess Tiana is a Disney princess kind of, except for Tiana wasn't born into being a princess. And I would even argue to say there's a deeper conversation there that isn't really being had. And I don't think this is the podcast episode for that yet. The thing mm. is, think about how Tiana would just go home and fall into her bed. This young woman yeah. was figuring out how to do a big restaurant in a big building. Where was mm. that restaurant base? Not really. When you take into the, the consideration, the logistics that that young person, that young princess had to work through, Zuri had a very similar and even heavier burden to hold. We're talking about Wakandan showing up in UN meetings. The, 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 the world internationally this girl doesn't get a break at any point in this film and then the pressure gets worse mm -hmm. because then her mother dies her father's dead her mother's dead her brother's dead hey we this should probably we should probably put spoiler alert on this episode just in case somebody here oh yeah we, we yeah Absolutely. we gonna do that uh yeah, okay. yeah. We, we got that bad money should carry on carry on <laughs> black panther 2 is so dark it's so it's, emotional it's so emotional I, but i would the thing is disassociation is something that is very common and i don't understand how zuri it, it at least for me at least for me personally 
I think that's so much complicated and ongoing grief that it is amazing that she is maintaining her composure the way that she is. And so much so that I don't think flowers are really given to her character enough. Uh, Paul, we're probably going to say the same thing, but you go ahead. Well, I'm going to say this. I think that the reason that she was able to maintain herself, um, at least up to a certain point, is because, and I think I understand this actually very well. Um, Zenus, we've talked about it before. Um, Monisha, I don't think, I don't know that we've talked, we may have, um, but, you know, I got into martial arts as an early, at an early age. And the reason why is because I really needed something to like, my, my grandfather got me into it basically to keep me out the streets. Because, I mean, I've always kind of had a chip on my shoulder anyway. But I think that you learn how to use anger as a tool. Mm. But then there's another side to that because anger is neither good or bad. It just is what it is. But sadness is just a whole, you know? And in a lot of ways, like anger can be the light at the end of that tunnel. Um, Regardless if it's, you know, I mean, anger is often seen as negative, but it doesn't have to be necessarily, but it can be. And the difference between when it is and when it isn't is the difference between a campfire that keeps you warm and cooks your food and an inferno that burns the forest down. And I think that Shuri's anger allowed her to have a target and allowed her to focus on something. Yeah. We were going to say the literal same thing because that I was going to, I was going to essentially say that what kept her going and what kept her able to really stay focused and not just, completely self-destruct is that she had that it was the vengeful nature that she had within herself being frustrated that she felt like she didn't have she she couldn't do it basically that sense of failure that sense of failure of not being able to save t'challa from the unexpected illness the feeling like she failed which is why she tried to find like she was constantly working on things to try to figure out a way to make things right make things better at the expense of really just using that vengefulness to keep her going. And and Paul said it himself, like the anger that she felt was really her driving factor. Y'all gonna, y'all, I, there was, <laughs> I'm going to be very careful how I say this because the only reason I bring this up is because this is the first thing that came to mind. Um, I've heard people say a lot that anger is an essence of like, this is the things that you can use to help propel you even farther than what you think possible. Mm. There was a free... <laughs> y'all gonna laugh. As much as people don't fuck with Andrew Tate okay. at all, <laughs> nobody fucks with this man in the slightest bit. But I remember I heard him say at one point, the reason why people get as far as they do is because they're pissed off. They're mm. pissed off about certain things that they're with their position in life. Maybe they're doing things that they know they can do, but they can't. In this instance, Shuri's is pissed off. She lost her brother and she lost her mother. And she yeah. felt like she had no true control over that. It, uh, even if she had so much intelligence and skill set, I think she mentioned that in the movie. Like, aside from all of her skills, all of these talents, her intelligence, it still wasn't enough to save the people who she loves. So, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 and, and that's it. So, like, a lot of what she was feeling, as Paul said, this was this was the healthy, quote unquote 
coping mechanism for her to get through it as we've seen as it kind of kind of personify itself or spiritually manifest itself in her vision. I and feel then the that. caveat to that, right? And this is something that I'm still struggling with as an adult male in, in the real world, not in a comic book world. But the, the caveat to that is when you let go of that anger, then what do you have? Mm-hmm. And I don't know the answer to that because I haven't let go of mine yet. And I'm almost afraid to, in a way, I don't know who I would be without it. And I think that the movie was also trying to make that point. And to your point about Shuri having something to focus on, Zenas, I'll even take it a step further and say, amidst all those frustrations, who shows up? Mm. You feel me? Mm. And, and, and is whooping ass. So now she has somebody like she has an, a, a manifestation of her anger. Like, Oh, this person right here, like, oh, it's on. Like, you feel right. me? Like, now she has a goal. She has something to focus her anger on. See, and- the, the point that I was more so trying to get at of acknowledging that I can't comprehend how she's holding on. Yes, you hit, you hit it. That anger as a driving force makes perfect sense. What I'm talking about more so is how that affects the mind. I've talked to people who've lost parents and everyone grieves differently. And I would definitely say that some people have to lean into religion, focus, uh, it, focus through task or work makes perfect sense. And that like that even gets back to that gender component of y'all just went in as two black men and completely comprehended her anger. And I, as someone who's always identified as a black feminine am expressing, yo, that's, something I can relate to and I've been there and having been there that the, when I say holding up the way that she is that throughout the film, there's not a mention of psychosomatic syndromes or Mm. throughout the film, you're not watching. Like you, you see this person having emotional breakdowns and yet the mind is still holding intact. This person's still maintaining their dignity and their grace. That's what I mean by that is so underspoken to lose three of your immediate family members in mm-hmm. a short period of time. And going even further, I think what I mean by getting back to that, I, it, I, I have this really uncomfortable feeling with how Black Panther as Black Panther is a piece of art in a different and similar way that I perceive Moonlight to be a piece of art and how Black Panther can be interpreted being that it is such a prolific film to to people who are interested in Black people and Disney now and Marvel <laughs> You know, so that's that's like, even if you don't really like us, this is kind of one of the introductory films, just like the ghetto stereotypes used to be the introductory films. And I guess that's what I was getting at by how it even feels uncomfortable that there's not exactly full African-American representation in a way that 
kind of does the group justice in any way, shape, or form that doesn't That's make fair. it look really, really bad. Like, it's just one of those yeah. things where this is kind of the film that introduces people to, I would say, African dignity to a culture that is committed to perceiving us as inferior. And I mm. think what's hard is when I was watch. I told you about this, Paul. I don't think Zena's heard about this. When I was watching um, Night's Watch, it is a YouTube channel with these men who dress up as knights and watch movies. It completely, it still sticks with me how a man had what seemed to be an emotional outburst about how that line where Suri says, I wanted to burn the world down, how we just went and could understand however we perceive ourselves perceiving her, why she would say that and how it was not intended to be literal and how that man took it so literally and it was very scary to see how he had an emotional outburst. And this man is of European ethnic Australian descent. So he's, he is a descendant of what I assume might be colonizers in his country. And he was also very upset with people calling that white guy in the movie colonizer, even though he seemed to understand it. And it was just one of those things where I guess the film makes me uncomfortable because that is if a lot of people watch TV to learn, that is the learning channel for a lot of people. And it made me realize how hard it is for people to even begin to understand black women, period, at all, even on an emotional level. Like don't, I feel like some people can't even understand emotions, much less black people. And that is terrifying. I agree on most fronts i think as far as the night's watch i mean you know how i feel about uh white boy fanboys that are to me if not virgins like in incel territory especially when you're a grown-ass man dressing as a knight but regardless i think that um one of the things that i really appreciated about the second film as much as i love the first film was um, once again, and we've talked about it before, the, the level of secret code that kind of went in, because mm. although the first film did have its themes that were underlying and had a lot of dialogues that are going to be covered for decades and decades after the film's release, I think this movie actually went deeper in expanding upon those dialogues and also being like, if you don't get it, you just don't get it. Like this okay. movie was so much less of a Disney film than the first one. Was. Okay. So, like the first one. Ahead, so, so I, I just want to, and it's funny that you say that because when I went to go see this movie, I did not go by myself. In fact, I went with my home girl who is a white woman, mm -hmm. Italian at that. So be that okay. as it may, the thing is, is that there were certain things about the movie wherein we were we would talk about it and um i think i think she had mentioned something about her not really being a like as much of a fan of it as the first one or certain mm -hmm. things didn't resonate with her but in my mind i'm thinking to myself 
you just didn't get it. Exactly. And that's okay. Okay. The first one was like, <laughs> we don't get like the first one was like, okay, you didn't get it, but here's this movie and you're still hopefully going to enjoy it. And exactly. the second one was kind of just like, fuck it. <laughs> right. And so, and so, and so, and I'll say this one thing and I'll pass it back to whoever, Paula Monisha. Uh, uh, and all I'm going to say is, is that out of everybody in that movie and who was beefing, there's really one person or uh, once I'm going to say one person, but mm-hmm. a real actual individual or a group of individuals that were really the ones that were the true villains here. Yes, and go off. Because all, all, Namor and them were not the villains. Go They off, were not. Off. They were not. Because I'm going to put it to you like this. Again, spoiler alert. The very person who they went off to go save was the one who designed it for a school project. Mm-hmm. It was part of their college project. Mm-hmm. How did the U.S. government get the schematics to even do that in the first place? The goddamn teacher. The goddamn teacher. That whole thing, that whole ordeal. If that teacher didn't give that up, who knows what could have happened? That shit wouldn't be in the ocean. They wouldn't have found that stuff, and here we wouldn't have been. But again, I'm gonna pass that over to I'm gonna pass that over to Paul because he knows where I'm going with this. And and how many inventions did Thomas Edison get credited for that black people invented but couldn't buy the patents for? Come on now. Okay. Now look, <laughs> I'm going to say it like this because I've, I've been saying Namor is not the villain the whole movie. Um, and I've said that Killmonger wasn't the villain before, but for two completely different reasons, right? Or kind of similar reasons actually, but different in context. Um, Namor and the people of, I keep wanting to say Atlantis because that's what it is in the comics, but Kokulkan, um, or not Kokulkan, Talokan rather. Namor and the people of Talokan were pitted against the people of Wakanda and maybe on a literal level because they were fighting with each other, they were enemies, but the true villain was imperialism and capitalism as uh, portrayed by the West. And I'm not going to lie. Namor, when he was like, yo, we could, we could just tear if we just combine forces. We could just tear this whole little shit down. He was spitting, and again, it was like you know what? He was spitting, and and they changed Namor's origin and his ethnicity because in the comics he's he's not indigenous. Um, he's not even necessarily a person of color, and so as soon as they came out with like the images for Namor, like before they even released the movie, I was like, all right, bet. Like I see where they going with this in, in my mind, what I thought they were going to do with it because um, they did change his origin so drastically, which is fine. Cause Namor is kind of a lame character in the comics. Anyway, they made him so cool in the movie, but um, yeah, there's, there's that, um, that kind of circling the block back around to, the dissonance, right? Except for this time, the dissonance wasn't between black people of the diaspora that weren't a part of transatlantic slavery and black people of the diaspora that were um, caught up in transatlantic slavery. Instead of that dissonance, now it's the black versus person of color dissonance Mm -hmm. that is very real, right? And once again, if you get it, you get it. That one was probably the most obvious one, but if you don't get it, like fuck it, you know. Um, but we know who the real villain was, and that's really all I got to say about that. To be yeah, honest, same, with you. same here, basically. 
And once again, Disney movie like did kick in towards the end because they didn't join forces and burn that bitch down because like that really would have been the ideal ending. But I digress. Um, Final thoughts on Black Panther 2. I also love how they depicted. Oh gosh, I wish I could remember her name. It, again, I'm not really a big movie person and I haven't seen Black Panther 2 in a while. The young African-American woman who was going to MIT. I also mm, enjoy... Williams. I enjoy her portrayal because that is what it feels like to be young, Black, and successful. And Zuri's acknowledgement of her brilliance... Obviously, this person is way more brilliant than I am in my own craft. That being said, that's sort of what it feels like to be African-American and have a sense of brilliance and be able to create things that are meaningful and Mm. also feel like frustrated because it's not like she was going to get her ticket to Wakanda. And again, this is a Disney film. Wakanda doesn't exist. And Disney's going to be so funny if they make a Wakanda land. Oh, it's happening. They better not. They better not. They better not. It's going to happen. mm. No, gonna I, happen. no, I rebuke that. No, Dude, no. the way that that's what I mean by it makes me uncomfortable that that is the <laughs> cultural icon film because it really is. Because you know what's gonna happen. You know what's going to happen. Look, for all for all that talk about capitalism being the bad guy in that movie, you best believe they capitalize on that, that movie. Cool, um, my y'all you heard it here first. Y'all heard it here. Huh? I'm gonna say it like this. They made a sneakerella. What kind of land's happening? <laughs> Bro, I can tell you right now, the ratio is gonna be 70 30. I'm gonna let you decide who is this who. I already be knowing, though. I already be knowing. And this is what I mean by words. A part of me thinks I understand, and then I, I'm pretty sure I didn't get it. Uh, it's okay. Just, just marinate. Uh, just marinate. It's okay. We don't have to have. All I think the I kind of do. I think you know. It's kind of like how somebody's at Afropunk. Somebody is. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, it's so funny because I don't know, y'all. Do you go outside as much as you used to? I mean, I I spent three months, four months living in the mountains until I came back to Alabama. Man, I dropped, I dropped, I dropped music, I dropped music equipment and backline off to multiple venues, so I got to be outside anyway. I mean, like, I be outside, but I don't be outside. Like, I be outside, you feel me? But I don't be, like, outside. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. 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 Sounds okay. very Black of you, Black American. I understand. Yeah. Like, I be, like, actually outside. But I couldn't tell you what was going on in the world because I've been outside. Touching grass. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. That's all I got. Y'all got anything to say about final thoughts or whatnot? Um... I'll say this. When it comes when it boils down to it, I think the moral of the story here is um utilize 
your emotions in a way that's productive so everybody wins. That's I feel like is a good is a good lesson towards this. Because in both movies, anger was a definite driving force for both the antagonist and protagonist. Mm. But it's about how they channel it and how they use it towards reaching peaceful means in the end. The first the first way of going about things is usually not the best way. That's that's my lesson. And I'm preaching mm. to myself saying that. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I think that this movie in particular, both movies in a way, but especially this one, um, did a really good job of addressing um emotional turmoil and mental health without presenting an answer for people to either take and misinterpret or misuse. I don't think it presented an answer. I think it presented questions and I really appreciated that. That really does feel like the state of being a person of color in America, especially when you, I'm not even going to put socioeconomic class in that one. I I think that's the state of being a person of color in white supremacist spaces. And even though white supremacy is not explicitly discussed in the film, there is nothing more than I really appreciated that Disney okayed to come out was France being called on their bullshit. Fuck France, bro. That's that's the moral of the story. I take mine back. Fuck France is the moral of the story. Anybody that that has any understanding of history, yes, knows. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Disney. Thank you, Disney. Because the fact that the baby's name was Toussaint, even yeah. There Ooh. is nothing, th- yo, it's so interesting because I would say that the knowledge that I attained in my early 20s is the reason why no man is on a pedestal for me. And it's so fascinating because Europeans put themselves so far up the pedestal that it's not, it's interesting because the amount of poker face that some people portray. I am so happy that Disney allowed that to happen in the film because that means that Disney sees it too. Yeah, shout out I mean, to them. shit. Shout out to them for giving. I'm not gonna give Disney that much credit. What I will say is shout out to them for giving uh, 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 Ryan Coogler creative control over his art. Fair, yeah. But that's all I got, y'all. Um, where can they find? Let's start with Zenus. Where, where can they find you, Zenus? Okay, so you can find me literally. I'm, that's gonna. That's such a stunt way of saying it. You can <laughs> find me on social media platforms such as YouTube, uh, also Twitch, Instagram, Twitter at Small Town Zenus. That is S M L T W N Z E N A S. You can find me there. I do music. I sing. I stream, and um, all that good stuff. It also, if you say Zenus the white girl slayer three times in the mirror, he might just show up. <laughs> I was really, I was, I was really hoping that that somehow didn't, didn't like I appear didn't. in this episode. I almost didn't. I'm not gonna lie to you. I almost did. <laughs> Zenus, Zenus, yes, ma'am. Look at me spiritually. I am. I didn't say it because I grew. <laughs> Some of us grow up, Paul. <laughs> I'll never grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. No, <laughs> no I'm, I'm Killmonger. Yeah, okay, okay. Last thing, last thing. Yeah, I probably because we we already over time. Look, 
the fact that T'Challa went to the ancestral plane and saw his ancestors in a land that his people had been in for hundreds and thousands of years and Killmonger went to the ancestral plane and he just went back to the apartment where his dad died, which was the source of his pain. He also didn't grow up ever. And there's a dialogue there that we are not going to get to, but it's just something that I noticed. That's Monique, interesting. I perceive where that. Where can they find that, you? Oh, go I ahead. I'm sorry. That, uh, I perceive that scene as ethnicity, culture, heritage. Heritage in the literal sense. Mm-hmm. I understand. And I don't think it was that he didn't grow up. I thought that Killmonger was mature the whole time. He grew up exactly how I would expect a, a black man with his knowledge would. There's That's fair, too. It, is it possible that the answer is somewhere between those two things. That's another conversation. Hi, my name is Monisha Holmes. You can <laughs> find me on TikTok as Monisha Holmes and YouTube as Monisha Holmes and Instagram as Monisha Holmes. And if you want to go to my Facebook fan page, Monisha Holmes. Yeah, that's <laughs> Word. All right. Well, I guess that just leaves me. I am Paul and you can find me at your mama house. All right. Peace. No, I'm yeah. just um, <laughs> okay. You can find me on Instagram at helianthus.ho and on YouTube at mostly plants. All one word. Um, yeah, that's the show. And please follow our podcast on Instagram at hotepri. Oh, yeah, we definitely should plug the podcast. Duh. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, yo, thank y'all for your time. Um, Thank y'all for your uh, riveting takes on these things and for uh, just pontificating with me. Of course. uh, Of course. For being y'all. Yeah. Yeah, You don't see it, but I got a Wakanda basketball jersey, you know, so I had to dress for the occasion. Hey, that joint kind of fire. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. That joint fire. All right. I'm in a satin scarf wearing my house slippers. So, I'm not going to lie. As soon as I knew we weren't putting the cameras on for this show, I'm I'm in here like somebody uncle that just got out of jail. I really don't have no shirt on and sweatpants. All right. Let's go ahead and end it right now. <laughs> get out of there. We gotta get out of there. Yep. You look yep. like a mixture of the late nineties and the early two thousands are being